Well, we're in the, still in the book of Joshua. I think my dad said Joshua. I'm not sh- Joshua. My dad said a lot of things funny. He said Nevada, Iowa, Hawaii, Colorado, sandwiches. And I used to hear, quit monkeying around and pay attention a lot. We're continuing our journey through the book of Joshua. We're kind of moving in flow with the people of Israel. Do you remember um, why Joshua? We talked about, I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting book. There's a lot of stuff about, you know, battles and challenges and things like that. But do you remember why Joshua? Why Joshua? Do you remember that? I took you to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul touches on this. That the Scripture was written for us as an example. We see these things in an example. It helps us avoid some of the pitfalls we can run into along our journey as God has called us, in a sense, to possess the land as well. And I will tell you, and, and Dean even uh, did me a favor this morning because he, he pointed out the fact that in this first chapter, the be strong and courageous is re- repeated more than one time, and you are going to hear some repeated themes through this book of Joshua. And I think we need to hear those themes repeated. Uh, I mean, God repeated them over and over to His people because just we tend to be stubborn and thick, thick-skulled and want to do our own thing, and it just takes a lot of reminding, doesn't it? It goes back to that thing. You know, I remember... Um, I used to teach biology classes years ago, and um, you know we were always you know uh, tell them, tell them again, and tell them what you told them. And uh, for me, the most frustrating days were lab days. We're going to do a lab today, and so you go through the thing of describing everything and kind of tell them, tell them again, and tell them what you told them. Any questions? No. Okay, start to work. And, you know, ten seconds later, Mr. Siever, what do we do? Well, that's us, isn't it? God, what do we do? And so he has to remind us over and over again. Well, we're, uh, last week we, we know that God raised up a new leader. Um, there's some things he called him to. Uh, be strong and courageous is one of those things. Be obedient to my word. And, Know it, live it, and we're going to move on today. And, and this passage begins with this. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Prepare. It's time to prepare. Preparation. Um, have you ever had one of those home repair projects and you make your list of parts and you think about the tools you need and uh, that you'll need to get the job done, and then you get started and you have to go back to the hardware store three times, and you eventually have to go borrow a tool from the neighbor that you don't have. Or I I think about camping. Um, I didn't grow up camping. We didn't do much fun stuff as a kid, frankly. Uh, But uh, when I met my wife, her family was, they were campers. Um, That's what a farm family did as a cheap vacation. 
they went camping. And um, in fact, Julie's family has been going to uh, Lewiswis in the Gifford Pinchot National Forest in the Cascade Mountains of Washington probably for at least 60 years now. Same campground. About right? About right? You all have been there, right? And so, um, you know, we started camping. And camping can be challenging because think of basically what you have to do is take everything along with you that you need at home. Right? Food, shelter, clothing. It all needs to be there. And there's a big, there's a preparation process involved in going camping. And you know how it is. Um, uh-oh. Who's got the matches? Or uh, what do you mean we don't have a frying pan? Or um, I thought you put the tent in. Or how come there's no ice in the cooler? You ever, you ever been there? Um, camping can be really fun if you're well prepared. It can be a trial if you're not. In fact, how many of you ever listened to Gary Smalley? Remember Gary Smalley? He said, you know, he did this survey one time of families that were close, you know, tight. And he said he found out one of the common factors in the survey he did uh, was that close families camped. And he said, why is that? It's because they have to go through these trials together because there's always some kind of trial when you go camping. And sometimes it's because, where are the matches? Or... You know, the frying pan or those who... I thought you put the tent in. So, um, there's a, a, a careful preparation process that needs to happen. There's a story. Um, in the spring of 1981, a young man was flown into desolate northern Alaska to photograph the natural beauty and mysteries of the tundra. He took along 500 rolls of film several firearms, and 1,400 pounds of provisions. Sounds like this guy was well prepared, doesn't it? As the months passed, the words in his diary changed from wonder and fascination into a nightmare. In August, he wrote, I think I should have used more foresight about arranging my departure. I'll soon find out. In November, he died alone in a nameless valley by a nameless lake, 225 miles northeast of Fairbanks. An investigation revealed that though he had carefully planned his trip, he had made no provision to be flown out. Careful preparation process. Kind of difficult to imagine, is it, that it should leave something that important out? And so we have the people right here on the threshold of the promised land, and, and Joshua sends the officers among the people, that's, and he's telling them, get prepared, get ready. It's time. Get prepared. And I just want to point out something, because he says, it, it, basically he's saying three days hence, okay, in three days. And then you go to chapter 2, and it talks about the spies going into the land, and it's like, the commentators feel like, we just kind of, he, he says this, but chapter 2 actually, with the spies, probably actually happened first. All right, so the spies went in, 
They came back with a report. And then Joshua says to the people, in three days we're going in, get your supplies ready. So there, there is the necessity then of preparation. Um, most, uh, again, talking about those who, who comment on the scripture, most of them feel like the great need here was to get food supplies ready. They were still getting manna at this point. Do you, did you realize that? They're still getting manna. But once they go into the promised land, the manna dries up. So, so not only do they have to be prepared for war and the conflict that they'll face, but they need to be thinking about food in a way they haven't had to think about it in quite a while. And so you need to get all your supplies ready to go so that when you cross into the promised land, you'll have something to eat because we don't know how long it's going to be before we're able to take the first city, Jericho, and we'll get to that, and, and, and avail ourselves of, of what's there in the city because we know that they did that. So Joshua says, go among the people, tell them to get ready to go into the promised land. Um, but you know what, I think, their, I think their preparation, as important as it was to get their supplies together, I think it involved more than just making lunches for a few days. See, some of these folks were children when they stood at this very place 40 years previously. And they watched their parents turn away and return to the desert where that entire generation died. Their parents had stood on the threshold of all that God had promised and they turned away. Who knows, maybe 40 years earlier, all their supplies had been ready too, but they weren't prepared in their hearts. They didn't believe God, they didn't trust God, they didn't have faith in God, so they, they turned away. So on this day, or three days hence, as important as it was to have their supplies ready, it was even more important to have their hearts ready. They could not fail this time in the preparation of their hearts. I mean, God had promised 40 years ago, the land is yours to take. Kind of reminds me of that story, you know, when the disciples are crossing the... Jesus said, get in the boat and let's go to the other side. And he falls asleep. What did Jesus say? We're going to, we're going to go to the other side, right? But when the things get rough, it's like, we're going to drown. No, Jesus had said, we're going to go to the other side. But they had to wake him up and, you know, he calmed the storm. And it's like, wow, who is this guy? And that's what happened to the people of Israel. They come 40 years earlier to this place in, in time and... And just on the threshold of entering what God had promised, but they didn't believe what He said. The land is yours to possess. Go in and take it. And it's like, wait a minute. Do you know what's in there? So here we are again. And as important as it was for the people to get their supplies ready and their weapons of war and the food that they needed and all that would go into a campaign like that, the most important thing that they needed to prepare was their own hearts. Do we believe God? Do we trust Him? If bringing that up to 
the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. And this is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver bowls, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Preparation of the heart. And... And he talks about, you know, there are some things that are made of good stuff, gold and silver bowls, and then there are others that are made of wood and clay. And, and, and so the, the, in, in the gold and silver bowls go the things you eat and drink, and, but in some of these other things are the waste and the stuff you throw out, the honorable and the dishonorable. And Paul says we need to rid ourselves of the dishonorable so that we are prepared for every good work. I used to take, I don't know if I've told you the story because I'm forgetful. I used to take the teens backpacking every summer into the Eagle Cap Wilderness area of uh, Eastern Oregon. And I, I'm low in mercy. <clears throat> so, you know, I would say, Pack lightly. You know, this is going to be on your back for a few days. You don't want to overdo it. you got to be smart. I give them a list. But I didn't go through their packs. You know, if you want to bring um, six-pack of Coca-Cola along, that's your choice. And um, one, one particular trip, uh, we had a young man. Uh, and I, I was telling Jindy and... And Curtis about this, this story recently. We had a young man who viewed himself as a pretty tough guy. And I, I had a, an external frame pack. I'd given him an internal frame pack and he had this pack and there were some other things that happened too. He messed up with his footwear, but we won't go into that. Um, boy, this thing is cutting into my shoulders and it's so heavy and so about the second day, I said, Scott, what in the world did you bring in that pack? I mean, why? And I, it, it had a big main pouch and a zipper pouch at the top and two big ones on the side and then a, a, a zipper pouch below. So I open up the top pouch and the first thing I pull out is a family-sized jar of peanut butter that he'd mix with jelly. And then I unzipped, you know, I went through his pack. Most of the other stuff made sense. <laughs> Although he was not a minimalist by any stretch. But I unzipped the bottom pouch and I pulled out an iron bar this long and this square. <laughs> Why would anyone bring that on a backpack trip? And it's like, oh, I forgot that was in there. <laughs> He'd gone out to the Columbia River to try out the pack, and he'd seen this, you know, treasure laying there on the shore, and he put it in the bottom pouch. There's some things that need to go. By the way, I threw that bar away, and another kid picked it up and carried it the rest of the trip. So, <laughs> so 
sometimes preparation means getting rid of some things. And Paul said, to be prepared to do good work, there are some things that need to be gone from your life, the dishonorable. God needs to cleanse those things from us. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, again Paul writing, and I know he's talking to Timothy, who's a young pastor, but I think this applies to us too. Maybe not this first phrase, preach the word, although we do that in a way with our lives, don't we? But he also says, be prepared in season and out of season. That's the point I want to make. Be prepared, he said, in season and out of season. Basically what he's saying is, be prepared all the time. There's a pastor in Texas who made this comment on that. He said, oftentimes, we fall in a, into a sort of time clock mentality in serving Christ. For certain periods of day, we're on the job for the kingdom, but then at other times, we mentally punch out for the day. Here we are being commanded to throw away our punch cards and be ready for any and every opportunity afforded us. Be prepared all the time. Then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Be prepared. When do we know when someone will ever ask us to share the reason for the... We don't. So basically what Peter's saying here is you better be ready at any time to answer that question. Be prepared. And just like the Israelites, we need to be ready. We need to be ready in the preparation of our own hearts. Because God has given us a land to possess. And as important, as again, as it is to get the supplies ready, I think the key for them was to get their hearts ready, and I think that's the key for us. If we're going to move ahead and possess the land, we've got to believe in our hearts that God has given us the land to possess. The second thing that I see in this passage of Scripture is the necessity of total participation. And again, to understand what's happening here at this point, because he, it says, but to the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the, Mo- the command that Moses gave you, the Lo- Lord's giving you rest and your wives and your children, but listen, you need to go in with the rest of us to possess the land, okay? We need to go back 40 years to really understand what's happening here. The Israelites were making their their first journey to Canaan and had to pass through the territory of the Amorites, the kings Sion and Og. And messages, listen, the Israelites tried to do this right. They sent messages to these two kings requesting safe passage through their territory. They said, we'll, we'll not disturb your crops. We won't even take water from your wells. Just give us safe We'll stay on the road. Just give us safe passage through your territory. You know what the response of these kings was? They mustered their armies against them. And they went to war against the Israelites and both were defeated. And the result was that Israel occupied their lands. 
And so in Numbers chapter 32, the leaders of the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh come to Moses and make this request. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. In other words, we want to stay on the east side. These two and a half tribes, it says in the scripture, had very large herds and flocks. And the land taken from the Amorites east of the Jordan was good grazing, suitable for livestock. And so they're thinking this is perfect for our lifestyle. So rather than crossing the Jordan into Canaan, they petitioned Moses to allot them the lands east of the Jordan as their inheritance. And so in Numbers 32, verse 33, it says, Then Moses gave to the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sion, the king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the whole land with its cities and territory around them. So he granted their request. But Moses placed some con a condition on, on their agreement that they made. And that was that the Reubenites, Gadites, and half-tribe of Manasseh would send their fighting men across the Jordan with the other tribes and stay until the land had been subdued. That's the deal. Once the conquest was complete, then they would be free to return to their families and to the land that was now their inheritance. But the job of possessing the land required total participation. All twelve tribes. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a, worthy, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence... I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. We, I, I preached a sermon, uh, a couple of them, a few weeks ago about unity. That's what this is. It takes all of us together to get the job done. Ephesians 4.16 And Paul uses this symbolism more than once in his writing. He says, um, from him, speaking of God, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up as each part does its work. Paul speaks on more than one occasion about the importance of every member of the body of Christ. Folks, we are in this together. It takes all 12 tribes. It takes every part of the body. We all have something, as we say, to bring to the table. And it's all necessary. And if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish as a people, as a body of Christ, as a church, it's going to take all of us, folks, to do our part. And some will say, well, I just don't have the energy or the strength or, you know, I'm limited physically. I know that. 
God knows that. But there's something you can do. And even if it's time on your knees, it's an important aspect of what needs to happen for us to do what God has called us to do. Took all 12 tribes. The next thing I see here is the necessity of complete obedience. This is one of those repeated themes. And now Moses has, has just, uh, excuse me, jo- Joshua has just reminded the, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh this is what you agreed to back then. It's still true. The land east of the Jordan is yours. But listen, we all have to go in to possess Canaan. And guess what? You guys get to go at the front of the army. And then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. I kind of wonder about that little passage. Although maybe the kids did better than the parents. Only may the Lord your God be with you as He was with Moses. You know, you want, you want to follow a leader upon whom is the anointing of God, right? <laughs> Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And Dean already pointed out that last line this morning. Wow. That's, that's commitment. They would not allow even the smallest seed of rebellion to take root. That's what I see here. Disobedience would be dealt with in the severest terms. The penalty would be death. That is pretty serious. And it seems these guys meant what they said. Perhaps that was because they knew what disobedience had cost the generation preceding them. Kind of encouraging to think that maybe they'd learn their lessons. See, that preceding generation had all died in the desert without ever enjoying the abundance and rest of the promised land. And it seems that this group now, the descendants the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe, they were determined not to let this happen again. And the key to avoiding that fate, the fate that, the, that their parents had, had succumbed to, was complete obedience. In fact, Paul, or excuse, the, yes, in, in, well, in Acts, Luke writes, but... Paul is speaking here, but our ancestors refused to obey him. This is Acts chapter 7, verse 39. Our ancestors refused to obey him. He's speaking of God. Instead, they rejected him and their hearts turned back to Egypt. In Ephesians 6, 6, and again, it's a principle here because he's speaking to slaves about masters and he says, Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ. We're all supposed to be slaves of Christ. 
Doing the will of God from your heart. See, folks, that's where the obedience that they were going to practice now had to come from. It wasn't just some sort of mental ascent. Okay, that sounds good. Joshua, I guess we'll do that. But it came from the heart. We see, uh, and I make reference to that, to First uh, Corinthians chapter 10 that I, that I brought your attention to last week. Where Paul writes, now these things occurred as examples to us to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Heart. It's our hearts. And so we see now in these three tribes the determination in their hearts to be obedient to God now and not to make the same mistake or to commit the same sin because that's what it was. It was disobedience to God that their it was sin that their parents had committed and they paid the price for that. And these guys said, put to death anyone who doesn't obey you. But basically that's what happened to their parents in the desert. They were all put to death because of their disobedience. And we're gonna I'm gonna make reference to this later as we as we get farther into the book of Joshua, another incident happened. But folks, let me tell you, sin is never self-contained. You know, there's this thinking out in the world that, well, I can do my own thing because, you know, it's just about me. It always has ripple effects, and it especially has ripple effects in the body of Christ. That's why Paul wrote some of the things he wrote about dealing with sin in the church. Because he knew the impact that that could have on the body. And so these guys understand that principle too. And it's like, listen, if anybody rebels against your words, whatever you may command them, we'll deal with the problem. And it's going to be severe. We're going to get rid of the problem so there are no ripple effects. So there's not an infection that takes place. So don't have some sort of mass desertion or rebellion on our part. We're going to deal with it. And it just reminds us again, I think, of how severe sin is and how God views it. A holy God views sin. It's serious business. The wages of sin is death. What these guys said was nothing new. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And he's made, he's made provision for us. But again, in the death of Jesus on the cross, we see how serious sin is. That's what it took. And so these, these men and these two and a half tribes had to make this decision and it couldn't just be, well, that sounds good. Joshua will give it a try. It had to be something that came from their hearts and it was a determination to be obedient. And God hasn't changed His requirement of His people. He still wants obedience. And the first and most important decision we can make in our hearts, a first step of obedience any of us can ever take is to accept Jesus Christ the Savior. Amen? That's the first step of obedience. And then there are more, many more decisions, steps of obedience that we have to take from our hearts as God leads us into the abundance of the land He has called us to possess. 
And I think there is abundance. Jesus has promised it. And not in the sense that we as rich Americans tend to think so often. You know, about the stuff that's parked in the garage or the square footage of our house or how much money is in our bank account. Just think about the abundances you've enjoyed in your life that had nothing to do with physical, material things. There's abundance in the fellowship we enjoy with one another and the privilege we have of worshiping together in a land that's still free. And so much more than that. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. This is Jesus speaking, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's God's desire for us. But just like way back here in the Old Testament and even in scriptures preceding Joshua, God says if you want that abundance, obedience is the key. Blessings or curses. It's your choice. And so think about the, the first and most important step of obedience we can take is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and accept what He did for us on the cross and enter into relationship with God through Christ. But then there are all these other steps of obedience that God has called us to after that, right? Think about what some of those things are. And I know in our individual lives, God may call you to do something and be obedient in a way He hasn't called me to, but there's some things that He's called all of us to do as steps of obedience. And I think of go. Go is a, is a command. It's, it, God expects us to be obedient to that. Can you think of any place where Jesus said go? Go ye therefore, that's it, into all the world. And for most of us, our all the world is right here where we live, isn't it? Love. Be obedient to love. Can you think of any place where Jesus said love? Come on, help me out here. Okay, the greatest of these is love. That's that's from um, 1 Corinthians, isn't it? Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest... What did Jesus say about it? I heard it. Love the Lord your God. And love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. That's what we've been commanded to do. And He expects obedience. And there's other things I can think of this morning. Take up your cross and follow. Do unto others. Forgive as you have been forgiven. And listen, folks, if we're going to be obedient to these things that Jesus Christ has called us to, just like the two and a half tribes, it has to come from the heart. It can't have some mental assent. Well, that sounds like kind of a cool philosophy. I think I'll give it a try. No. It's got to come from the heart. There's got to be follow through. We've got to be faithful if we're going to possess the land. Amen? Obedience from the heart. Kind of interesting that we look 
a few thousand years ago. Emily, not much has changed, has it? People, uh, Dean was saying yesterday in this class, we were talking about, you know, the different cultures and the different generations and the baby boomers and the Gen Xers and the millennials and whatever else they have out there, but people are people. People are people. And we still struggle sometimes with believing God. And in situations especially that look to us like they're impossible, oh God, it's all uphill. And it's slick and snowy and icy. And it's really cold. You know, we, and I, I can't do this. I've never liked walking uphill anyway. And I don't like cold weather. And I, it's what we do. And pretty soon we're not believing what God said. You can do this. We have to believe Him. And we have to be in this thing together, don't we? We have to be in this thing together. And we have to prepare ourselves. And folks, that's an ongoing process. Preparation for us is an ongoing process. We need to be people of prayer. We need to be people of the Word. We need to be people of worship. We need to be people of fellowship. It's a growing process. It's continually preparing ourselves to do what God has called us to do. But if, if we do these things, if we're, if we're in a process of preparation, if we believe that I have a part, we all have a part in this, if we're obedient from the heart, the land is ours to possess. Victory. Amen. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. And we know that the truths we find in Joshua are just as applicable to us today as they were to those three tribes that Joshua addressed on that day. And to those people he told to get ready so we can go in and do what our ancestors failed to do. And to realize that it takes all of us, all twelve tribes. There's no one that can be left out. No one that doesn't have a part or a place. And Lord God, we have to be obedient, not just because it sounds good, but because we believe in our hearts that is what we need to do as your followers. God has said it, I believe it, I'm going to do it. And we also know this morning that the first and most important step of obedience is that of accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, our leader, our master. Someone greater than Moses. Someone greater than Joshua. Jesus Christ. The one who will lead us to possess a land you've called us to possess. But we have to take that first important obedience step. And so this morning, with our heads bowed, God has called us to obedience And he's called us, first of all, to enter into relationship with him through Jesus Christ, his son, who came, lived, shed his blood on the cross, rose again, and now intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. And the scripture tells us that if we believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to believe in his name means to believe in who he was and is and what he has done for us. 
If we believe that He is the final sacrifice for sin, that His blood can cleanse us, make us whole, can bring us into fellowship with the Father, then we can be saved. And if there's anyone here this morning who has not taken that initial, that first, that most important step of obedience in these moments of quietness this morning, I would ask you, come to Jesus. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. He has territory for you to possess. He wants you to walk in obedience. He wants you to experience the abundance that can only come through a relationship with Him. Just it's a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe that You're the Son of God. I believe that You died on the cross and shed Your blood so that I could be forgiven for my sins. I accept Your forgiveness today. I choose to make You the Lord, the Master of my life. Thank you for what you have done for me. Help me from this point on to walk in obedience to you. In your name I pray. And if you've prayed that that prayer this morning, Jesus is faithful to answer that prayer and he is now your Savior. In the first step of obedience, there will be many more in your life, in all of our lives. And Father, I pray that you'll help us to be obedient from the heart. Obedient from the heart. To understand the importance of that. And the fact that if we're not obedient, the penalty is pretty severe. Personally and corporately. But we know this, and we have this assurance, we're not alone. You have promised your Holy Spirit. There is that strength, that inner strength, the power at work in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to help us walk in obedience and faithfulness to you. Lord God, you have given us a land to possess. We want to do that. Because for us, it's not just turf, soil, cities. It's people. It's spiritual. It is life or death. It's eternity. It's a high calling. It's an important calling. And it should be important to all of us. And God, we need to be prepared. Work in our midst. Work in our lives, I pray. So that we, we as your people, can experience the joy of possessing the land that you have called us as a Longmont Church of the Nazarene to possess. For Jesus' sake. And for the, for the sake of those who will come to know you, to know him as Savior. And Father, I pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.